This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson at Nebraska Christian Schools. Today's chapel will be listening to Zeke Pfeiffer. Zeke is the senior pastor at Heartland Evangelical Free Church in Central City, Nebraska. Let's join Pastor Zeke with today's message. There is an interesting phenomena right now going on with technology and us, how we relate to technology and, and the kinds of technology that is out there. We love Facebook, we love Twitter, we love iPads, we love cell phones, we love texting, we love cars that talk to us. We just love technology, and we seem to really want to relate to technology. We also want to relate through technology with each other. What we're finding, though, and we're finding this on a very, very broad level, is we're finding that the more that we gravitate toward relating to technology or relating to each other through technology, the more that we actually lose our ability to have face-to-face relationships, to be able to sit down and be face-to-face and have long talks, get to know you, really relate to each other on a face-to-face level. And part of the reason for that is because relating to each other like that on a face-to-face level, having real friendships, is about shared experiences. And in fact, Deep friendships are about kind of amassing several shared experiences. So going through life, being together, and then having all these shared experiences. And technology is allowing us to feel connected to each other and to jump onto Facebook or to, to go to texting and to grab information about each other, but without actually having shared experiences. You know who Winston Churchill is? You recognize that name? He said something once. He said, we shape our buildings, and then they shape us. And you watch in the years to come. We're going to keep coming out with technology that allows us to do this, and that technology will have an impact on us. First thing I want to do, I want to talk a little bit about what is friendship. What does a friendship even consist of? And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me. We're going to look at a few different Proverbs. Well, the first one we're going to look at is Proverbs 18.24. We're going to look at the question, what is friendship here? My version says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Saying several things, the first thing I want us to see about this passage is that there, there are a couple different levels to relationships. I would even say friendships. And the first one here we see is companions. Your version said friends, and that's, that's good, because we're talking about a level of friendship here. We can have a whole bunch of people that we go to school with, that we play sports with, that we go shopping with, that we interact with on Facebook. We can, we can have a whole bunch of people who we do life with, and this proverb calls these people companions. And this is good. I mean, these are good good people in our lives. They're they're part of why life is enjoyable. But what this says is if this is the level of relationship that we have, you know, people on Facebook, people we sit in class with or, or shoot hoops with, if that's the level of our relationships with friends or with companions, it, it says here that we are vulnerable to ruin. It says a man of many companions. 
may come to ruin. It doesn't say a man of many enemies may come to ruin. It says a man of many companions may come to ruin. And what that means, come to ruin, here it means to end up feeling isolated, to end up feeling lonely. It means when you go through a hard time in life and things just start to fall apart, and it will for all of us, that's just the nature of life, it gets really hard. A person with a whole bunch of companions out there is still very vulnerable to to ruin, to finding himself in a place where he doesn't have that support, he doesn't have that strength. Now, this first phrase, a man of many companions may come to ruin, is contrasted with the second phrase here. Look at that with me again. It says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, this is before Christ. This is talking in general, and what it is saying here is that in your diverse relationships, and your companionship relationships, there's a category that is completely different. And it's a category of a friend, and it's a friend that, that is even in some ways more vital or more important in some ways than, than even a brother. I mean, it sticks closer than even a biological sibling. Now, that's a huge claim to make in this context, in this culture. You're dealing with a time and a, a place here where family was everything to these people. You worked with your siblings. You lived on the same property as your siblings. Your family was everything. And so this is a, this is a huge statement that this is making, that there can be a friend that is more vital or closer to you than a brother. And I think it's pointing to one of our deepest needs as, as people, and that is for this type of friendship, for a friend that will stick with us when they don't need to. In fact, that's one of the differences here. When you think about your family, you think about your siblings and the rest of your life, they're probably going to be there for you when you go through difficult things. And, and that's, that's huge. That's really, really great. But one of the things about family members is they're probably going to be there for you, and it's largely because that's kind of an assumed role that we play in families. When you're born into a family and you have siblings and something goes bad for a sibling, you're there. Because you're family. And again, that's, that's awesome. But a friend is different. A friend is somebody that does not need to be there. A friend is somebody that when your life is falling apart or, or you're going through a dark spot or, or you're involved in sin and, and, and nobody else needs to be there and you're, you're not necessarily a desirable person, a friend is going to be there for you and walk with you through that. We really can't get by without them. Through every season of life, a friend is always there for us. You might not even have to flip your page, but look at Proverbs 17, 17. This will be familiar to some of you. Proverbs 17, 17. It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. So when you're in a great mood and you're, you're fun to be with, and you've got money to spend, and you're just, things are going great, a friend is there. They're going to walk with you through life through those times, right? But when you're not doing great, and maybe you're broke, maybe you're sad, maybe you're struggling with some kind of a sin that you can't get out of, and other people think that you and your issue is gross, a friend will be there. A friend will love at all times. That's what this is saying. It's saying that 
there won't be a season of life where, where this type of friend just all of a sudden falls off the map until things start going better for you. If that person does that, they're not this type of friend. Because this says a friend loves at all times. Now, this is why I, I don't think that we can have very many people like this in our lives. Or I should say it like this. I don't think that we can be this type of friend to more than a, a small few number of people. I really don't. Because it takes such a depth of commitment. It takes so much time and thought. I just don't think we can do it. When I was in high school, when I was your age, thinking back, I put so much time and energy into maintaining dozens of relationships. But I look back on that time, and one of the ways that you could look at this is if we have a relationship maintaining tank, okay, like a gas tank, if each of us has a relationship maintaining tank, does that make sense at all? Like a, a, a certain capacity to put into relationships. When I was in high school, I spent all my gas on maintaining kind of a surface level relationship with dozens of people. I don't know if I was afraid of missing out on something or of there being some sort of a get-together or a party that I didn't get invited to because for some reason I forgot to maintain a friendship with this person. Or I think that those things were probably going on in me. But, but I just spread my relationship energy over a large number of people, and I seriously don't do that anymore. You know, part of it's because I'm 43, probably, and my tank is probably smaller, but I don't do that anymore. Like you, I have a lot of relationships. I mean, from where you're sitting right now, you're two feet from six people, probably. And, you know, I, as a pastor, I'm constantly greeting people on Sundays, and I'm constantly counseling people and kind of getting into people's lives, and, and, I, and I enjoy doing that, and there's a sense in which I, I really walk through issues with people. But, but listen, I want you to know something that is very, very true of me. When I think of my life and I think of my capacity to relate with people, I really hold back a lot of my time and a lot of my energy and my emotional energy for just a small few number of guys. And I do this very intentionally because I've, I've got a limited amount of resources for really being this type of a person to people. And then at the end of the day, if I go past and I'm on an empty tank, I'm drained and I'm not good for anybody. So I hold back and I invest deeply in just a few guys. And these are guys that we really do life together. We talk about our marriages. We talk about our parenting. We talk about our sins. We talk about... Our, our victories, our faith victories, these are guys that we say we do life together. And I, for the most part, probably connect with these guys once a week, every couple of weeks. Brett, my friend in Colorado, is one of these guys. And this is really what it means when it says here that a friend loves at all times. It's that level of friendship that says, I'm going to hold back some of my, my best relationship energy, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to walk with you through life. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to keep up with what's going on in your life. And I think if we don't make that intentional decision, we will spread it out broadly in our attempt to connect broadly with a big number of people. And there's a need we have that's, that's really going to be missing if we do that. Honestly, 
I think if you've got one person in your life like this, that you're this type of friend for and they're this type of friend back, you are a blessed person. I don't know if you know that, but, but if you have somebody on this level or if you have two or three people that you're walking through life with on this level, you are rich. You are a rich person. Another reason it takes so much time to be this kind of friend is that one of the absolute necessary features to being a, a brother that loves at all times or a friend that loves at all times like this is that you, you really must love and encourage and challenge these friends with Scripture and with truth and be open to their challenges. Flip up with me to Proverbs 27 and then look down at verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend. You're telling me that friends wound us? Doesn't that almost seem completely backwards to everything that we've just talked about? That our friends would wound us? You bet they do. When a friend loves us so much that they know our lives and they will step into our lives at times and say, man, you could be better than this. What you're doing here is not like Christ. Your joy is going to be over here in faithfulness. I'm telling you what, that hurts. That hurts. And it is so beautiful how that hurts. I'll give you a handful of examples. My poor friends have had sin in me to address at times, but this is one that really sticks out in my mind here. My last year of seminary, this was back in 2001, I was having a good year in, in some ways. There were some things that had gone well for me. I'd received a couple honors. And we had a small group through seminary that for three years we met once a week and we'd have dinners and we'd read the scriptures and got to know these guys and their wives. And we were just good friends. We'd go camping together. And one of the guys, his name is Doug. Near the end of my last year at, at seminary, Doug came up to me and he said, hey, can we, can we go to lunch? And I, I noticed his hands were even shaking. I thought, man, he's, he's nervous about something. That's not like Doug. He said, can we go to lunch? I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's go to lunch, man. So we went to lunch and we're talking and then I could see he's kind of building up to something and he takes a deep breath and he says, you know I love you and you know that there's nothing I want more for you than to have a lifetime full of fruitful ministry to the Lord. He said, as I've gotten to know you, and especially this last year, one of the, the main ways that I see that you are capable of sinning is in the way of pride. He said, I, I see you as being capable of pride. And what he meant by that is capable of really finding your identity and your sense of, you know, I'm a good Christian in how well you do at things. He said, because you're doing well at things right now in this year. And he said, I actually think I've glimpsed your heart and, and seen you struggle with pride. And he said, man, I'm just so concerned that you're going to get out in ministry and some things will go well and you're going to run with that and then the whole thing is going to fall apart like we do see sometimes in the church. And he said, I don't, I don't know what you want to do with that, but I love you too much not to tell you I see these things and I think they could be an issue for you. Did that hurt to hear? Absolutely that hurt to hear. It, 
took me to the mat and stuck a thumb in my chest, and it was absolutely dead-on accurate. And it hurt, and it opened my eyes to something that is true of me and in a place that God wanted to work in me. And I will tell you today that I shudder to think of ways that I might have sinned in the past, whatever, 13 years, had Doug not said that to me. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Think of what Doug needed to be able to say that to me, though. First of all, he needed to know the Scriptures, right? I mean, he, he needed to know what the Scriptures say about pride and, and how pride really comes before a fall, that pride is confidence in ourselves as opposed to confidence in Jesus and the grace that God gives us through our faith in Christ. He had to know about friendship. He had to know that friends are called to speak truth to friends. I mean, Doug had to know quite a bit about the Word of God in order to do this. So he had to, he had to study the Word of God, not just for himself, but for me. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but a lot of times we go to the Scriptures, and I don't know when you spend you know, time with the Lord, I know it happens a lot in the classes that you're in, and when you go to the Scriptures, a lot of times if you're like me, I'm going to the Scriptures, and I'm thinking there's truth here for my life. What Doug did, I guarantee Doug goes to the Scriptures and says there's truth for my life, but he went to the Scriptures, and he said there's truth here for Zeke's life. You ever thought about that, that when you study the Scriptures... It's not just so that Jesus is going to work in your life, but it's also studying the Scriptures so that Jesus is going to work in your friends' lives. That's powerful. When you study the Scriptures, begin to pray for these few friends and say, God, not only show me truth that will change my life right now, but if there's something my friend is going through, show me that too because I love him enough that I'll talk with him about this. I'll pray for him about this. So Doug had to do that. He had to know the Scriptures, and he had to know them for me and, and not just for himself. But he also had to know me really well. If Doug and I just had a relationship on Facebook or through texting, there's no way he would have known me well enough to come to me and identify this. And part of it is because when we get online, and you might think that I'm completely anti-Facebook. I'm on Facebook probably every day and I certainly text every day. I'm not anti-technology, but, but there, is a, there is a risk to these things. And if all we do is know each other through the, the depth that Facebook and texting allows, you will not know your friends well enough to be able to go to them and say, this is the Word, this is you, let's bring it together. Because one of the things that happens online or through texting is that we put a version of ourself forward that we want others to see. And there's some truth to it, but there's not all truth to it. We really have the ability to control what others see, others see about us. And so when people interact with people on Facebook, they're not necessarily interacting with what is true. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than Facebook. For Doug to say this to me, we had to spend hours together having coffee and having lunch. And, and then it just took courage. Because you can know the Word and you can know a friend well enough, but the tendency in our hearts is to say, you know what, I love him so much I can't possibly imagine ruffling his feathers over this. 
you know, or I don't want to, I don't want to make her upset by bringing this up. And part of being a friend that loves at all times means you have to have the courage to say to that person, I love you so much that we need to talk about this. And believe me, that takes courage. I've been there. I've been on both sides of that, and it takes courage. And Doug had those things. The point is that to have this level of friendship, you have to be intentional. It's, it's not accidental. You won't, you know, suddenly at the end of this year kind of stumble into one of these relationships and say, oh, wow, great, I've got a deep friendship. You really do need to be intentional with each other. Let's talk for just a minute here about how to actually make a friend like this and, and keep a friend like this. I think that's one of the main questions we're asking today is we're going deeper through technology, but we're ending up feeling more lonely and more isolated. How do I have a friend like this? A couple weeks ago, we talked about this at Heartland, and I really relied on C.S. Lewis to help answer this question. I'm going to do that again this morning. He's got a chapter in this book, The Four Loves, that is on friendship. There's really good stuff in this, this chapter. He does what we're doing here. He distinguishes between companions and friends. This is what he says about the difference here. He says that friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have some common interest, some common insight or taste that other people do not share, and which until that moment they believed was unique to them. He says the typical beginning line of any friendship is, what, you too? I thought I was the only one that felt that way. And his point here is that for a friendship to, to go from a companionship into a friendship, he said you, you have to have a shared direction. You have to be going the same direction and have a common interest and, and think deeply in the same way and feel deeply in the same way. Otherwise, all these people out there remain, remain companions. He goes a step further and he says, wanting a friend like this is not enough. The friends will be doing something together. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else beside friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth? Meaning, if one person asks the question, do you see the same truth? Okay, do you share this interest? And the other person says, I don't see or care about anything about the truth. I only want a friend. He says, no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. That's a difficult statement, and I think it's very true, but it's still very difficult. It's the idea that if we feel lonely, if we feel like, man, I really want a friend like this, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a friend like this, I'm going to put my energy into getting a friend like this, and that's the focus, you will not find a friend like this. He says you, you have to be going somewhere, going some direction in order for somebody else to be going that direction with you so that you find a companion and a friend like that. I'm going to close with this. I want to make a suggestion for you this year. Here's my suggestion of where to go or what direction to head. And that is 
I would love to challenge each of you to make this a year in which your highest priority this year is to seek the person of Jesus Christ. A great, great passage to focus on this year is 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. It says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Okay, flee the passions of the world. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Flee sin, love Jesus, help your friends flee sin and love Jesus. And I'll tell you this, God will bring you friends in your life that are going that same direction. He will. And those friendships will be deep and they will be life-giving. And I'll tell you something else that they will do. I think these friends that you have that are also pursuing Jesus, I think these friends will bring out your A-game, your faith A-game. I read a story this last week about two rock climbers, Rich and Kevin. Kevin was the more experienced rock climber, and so they went out on this somewhat technical climb, and Rich really had never done anything like this before. And so Kevin was the one that was going to be the belayer. So Kevin was going to be the one holding the rope so that if Rich fell or anything went wrong, he was the one that was going to be able to keep him from hitting the ground. So they're going up this rock face, and it's getting really hard. Rich is getting really tired, and he wants to quit, and he's told Kevin he wants to quit. And he finally just decides, I know he's got me. I'm going to make my point. I'm going to go ahead and fall. I want to quit. I want to be done. And so he he falls. This is in Rich's own words. This is what he says. He says, falling, I shout. And Kevin put a brake on the rope, and after a few feet, I came to stop. I'm hanging, spinning around while new blood delivers recovery energy to my fingers and my spent arm. Rich says, I'm done, man. Lower. He says, this is the part where the belayer is supposed to lower you to the ground and congratulate you on a good try. Instead, Kevin says, I'm not lowering you, man. You can climb that. Funny, I say, acknowledging his attempted humor. Lower me, please. He says, no, not funny. You can climb that. He speaks in staccato, punctuating each word to make sure that I heard him. I continue to spin, hanging from the rope about 45 feet in the air. Try it again, he yells. Who is this person telling me what I can and can't do? Friends don't let friends dangle in midair, do they? What did I ever like about him? No, really, I'm finished, I yell. Uh, No, really, you can climb this. He's not going to let me quit. I need new friends. I reconnect with the rock, and he tightens the rope as I try again, and I fall again. Once more, I ask to be lowered. Once more, he refuses. Once more, I try. And this last time, for reasons still unknown to me, I succeed and I finish the climb, exhilarated by the triumph. And then he says this. Rich writes, Kevin saw something in me I didn't. And he brought it out. He raised my game. Good friends do that. I have a few friends like this. And so I can tell you from firsthand experience that good friends do that. If you will commit yourself to pursuing Jesus this year and to saying, I have no higher priority 
then living a life of faith and trusting in the person of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, that is the direction I'm going, and I'm going full guns in that direction. You watch who the Lord brings alongside you to say, I'm going to make that climb with you. And then you watch how that friend at the times when you say, I can't do this. It's too hard. This life of faith is too hard. There are questions I cannot answer. There is pain in my life that I cannot account for. It is too hard. You watch how those friends say, yeah, you can. By the power of Jesus Christ, yeah, you can. And I'll do it with you. You've been listening to a message by Zeke Pfeiffer, who is the senior pastor of Heartland Evangelical Free Church in Central City, Nebraska. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.